it helps you to breathe first and foremost <laughs> as an entrepreneur leader building any organizations one of the things you're always worried about is funding after funding it's easy to say the nonprofit sector is broken less easy is saying how we're going to fix it Welcome to What Donors Want, a podcast by IG Advisors, where we speak with brilliant people to reimagine the future of social impact. In this fourth season, we'll be switching things up a bit and diving into what we all want, including and beyond donors. I'm Rachel Stephenson-Chef, IG's Managing Director, and we're a strategy consultancy specializing in social and environmental change. This podcast is part of our mission to fix the flow of resources for good. Welcome back to What Donors Want. I'm Rachel, IG's Managing Director and host of the show. And today we are diving into the power of unrestricted giving. I co-hosted this episode with Beatrice Anyango from the Siegel Family Foundation. And together we spoke with three African visionary fellows about the impact this kind of trust-based funding has had on their work. Before we dive in, of course, a thank you and a shout out to none other than our official season four sponsor, Siegel Family Foundation, whose generosity and partnership makes this all possible, and of course makes this episode possible. Also want to send a thank you and shout out to our fantastic media partner, Alliance Magazine. You can check out their website, alliancemagazine.org, and get 50% off a subscription using the code WHATDONORSWANT, all one word, at checkout. All right, onto the conversation. Welcome, everyone, to What Donors Want. It's such a pleasure to have you here today. I really, really appreciate your time. And before we get started and dive into the conversation, I think it would be be great if you could introduce yourself to listeners. I know that you all have something in common. You're all recognized as African Visionary Fellows of the Siegel Family Foundation, which is fantastic. So could you please start by introducing yourselves and sharing a bit about your background and the work that you're currently involved in? Thank you so much, Lecha. My name is Delphine Oamahoro. I'm the founder and executive director of Our Sisters Opportunity. I'm also a social entrepreneur and a global health professional. At Our Sisters Opportunity, we envision a world with no poverty, where everyone has equal opportunity to fulfill their potential. We create last mile women entrepreneurial leaders fully equipped to improve their households. Prior to funding our sister's opportunity, I was leading a health organization called TIP Global Health, and I was managing our digital health business for all medical based in Japan. On a fun note, I received an award of best fashion designer in Rwanda in 2019, and on a grateful note, I am an African Visionary Fellow for the Single Family Foundation. I was a CRI Fellow for East Love Family Foundation, and I was perennial fellow as well. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much, Delphine. Thank you so much, Rachel. I'm very excited to be here this evening. Good evening from Morogoro, Tanzania. My name is Jackie Leonard Bomboma, a founder and CEO of Young Strong Mothers Foundation based in Morogoro, Tanzania, and African Visionary Referral 2023. Very excited. Young Strong Mothers Foundation is a non-profitable organization. We are 
working for adult teenage mothers, whereby we give opportunities to teenage mothers, but also to rescue adolescent girls from teenage pregnancy, school dropout, and child marriage. So in the other hand, I'm a mother. I'm very excited. For the first time, I've, uh, I've sent my daughter to the university. She's a first-year uh, university doing nursing. I am very happy for that milestone, and I'm very grateful. All in all, thank you so much for this opportunity for me to be here. Thank you so much, Jackie, and congratulations. That's fantastic. My name is Abbas Mpindi. I am based out of Kampala, Uganda. I run Media Challenge Initiative and we're building the next generation of journalists. We skill and prepare young journalists for the future of work, but we also support media innovators who have ideas and media businesses in alternative spaces that are, you know, news deserts or media deserts for them to curate and innovate content that fit those audiences. So we're talking about you know, innovations in sign language for media inclusion, media that covers minority groups in different communities, and also media that is working on fact-checking, misinformation, disinformation, and fake news. And I am not many things, but I'm proud to be an Africa Visionary Fellow. I'm also an Obama Leader Africa 2018. And when I'm not you know, working, I'm probably dancing on the dance floor and having fun, meeting new friends. And it's a pleasure to be here. Oh, I love that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I love how much diversity we have as well in terms of all your organizations and the different areas, the different thematic areas that you work in. I think it'll make for a very rich discussion. Um, and of course, listeners, I'm very, I'm thrilled to be here co-hosting this episode with Beatrice from Siegel Family Foundation, who's of course our incredible sponsor and a, a very dear partner of ours. So Beatrice, over to you to introduce yourself. Thank you so much, Rachel. Hi, everyone. My name is Beatrice Onyango, and I work at Siegel Family Foundation. Siegel Family Foundation is a social impact funder and advisor who's transforming how change happens in Africa. We do this by finding African visionaries, funding them and promoting their work so that other donors can find them and also fund them. And this is also that they can increase the impact they have in the world. We are talking about trust-based funding, something that Seagull is has been championing for a long time. And usually trust-based funding means unrestricted funding and multi-year funding. So for you fellows, why is this funding so transformative for you and your organizations? And can you share with us specific examples of your work and where this type of funding has been pivotal or instrumental or catalytic? Yeah, thank you so much for that question. I will start by saying that it helps you to breathe, first and foremost. <laughs> As an entrepreneur leader building any organizations, one of the things you're always worried about is, is funding after funding and having to fundraise all the time. And it comes with, um, with a lot of stress. It comes with a lot of anxiety. And I think most cases when we talk about fundraising not everyone really is born to do it right so you could be a ceo of an organization but you don't have fundraising born inside of you 
and you're pushed to do it because you are the leader of the organization. And that can bring a lot of, you know, anxiety, especially when you don't know where it's going. And in my case, with the Single Family Foundation, this has been really, really transformative in taking off a couple of fixed costs that no one else is funding. So we're talking about rent, we're talking about salaries of certain members of staff that are critical in, for example, production of content in our organization, but are not funded by any other partner. And because we are always building this idea of a sustainable organization, when you get multi-year funding and unrestricted funding, it helps you to invest in your sustainability projects. So in our case, it would be you know, putting in place equipment that help you to train young journalists, but also to using the social enterprise to generate more revenue, which doesn't happen in some sort of like restricted funding where it's only pegged to certain activities and that's all. So that's how it's been helpful for me, especially allow me to breathe, but also allow me to invest in our social enterprise as well. Thank you very much. Thank you, Abbas. Jackie? Thank you so much. To add on what Abbas has been saying, for us at Young Strong Mothers Foundation, it has been very helpful because we managed to strengthen our organization capacity and impact, but also being the fact that our organization were just at the beginning stage, we had no income streams. So it really helped our mission and vision as we are seeking for more fundraising and partners. This funding has been really helpful in our organization growth, but also it was not only for the organization capacity building, but it tackles all the areas because sometimes we as grassroots organization, such a funding is very valuable, especially for we young leaders and grassroots organization that we have fewer donors, but also the income that we are earning from these donors and grants is very small. So having guaranteed of multi-year granting, especially unrestricted. It really helped us a lot. But also I can say that it made our work easy, but also we managed to carry a range of activities which supported the growth of the organization from the executive team, from the board members to the organization itself. So for us, we used to say that it's a most valuable investment a donor can think of if he's having a question of where does my money go or where can my money go. So thank you. Thanks, Jackie. Delphine, how has unrestricted funding and multi-year funding been catalytic for our sister's opportunity? Unrestricted and multi-year funding has been catalytic at our sister's opportunity in so, so many ways because each dollar given brought us to a, an exact impact in our, our organization. That being said, it really helped us at all areas, 360 degrees areas of the organizational growth, be it capacity building, be it putting systems and process in place, be it program, all areas of the organization. For a grassroots organization like Our Sisters Opportunity, we had a clear vision, but it's a journey. In this journey, you are always trying a new thing. You are not sure 
how something is going to work at 100%. Sometimes there are many things you didn't plan that occur and you need to carry on. So in our case, we were able to document and implement successfully our vision and be able to to have evidence-based model which is ready to scale. This funding have been gave us that flexibility to be able to talk about our model and the impact we made by using this funding. Okay, thank you so much, guys. So in terms of the frequency of accessing this type of funding, how easy or how difficult has it been for you to secure this type of funding? And what has been your experience? Is this the rule or is this the exception? And what are the common characteristics that funders who provide this type of funding have? What do they have in common? We can start with Delphine. For us, it was not easy to secure this type of funding. We are so grateful for the Single Family Foundation for trusting us in the first place. And that trust they gave us, it allowed other funders to to trust our vision as well. Then what happened, we kept attracting other funders who can be able to fund in terms of uh, giving us unrestricted and multi-year funding, but also we attracted other funders who were funding the, the program itself. So the common characteristics of the funders who give a multi-year funding, they have a huge trust towards innovators, towards locally led organization, towards solutions that are aiming to solving community problems. And you can tell that they do that intentionally. I've seen, we have like 25% of multi-year and unrestricted funders, but they all have a huge trust in us and they want to see us thriving and leading our visions. Thank you, Delphine. Jackie, would you like to jump in and share? So for me, I'm very happy with what like the single family foundations and other organizations who are doing multiple funding as well as unrestricted fund are doing. First of all, they take you in as a family, like you are part of them. They don't treat themselves like these are the big guys, these are the big organizations. But for them, they make us feel like we are equal because they understand that for them, they have their own responsibilities of funding us, but for us, we are working, we are implementing. So they are not putting themselves on top. Like we are here, you are down. So they keep us in the same level with them, but also the sharing of power. They are helping us grow and feel that we deserve this. It's not like something that's for, like it's a massive thing. Like we're giving you as for mercy. No, they understand our vision. They are proud of what we are doing. And now they are giving us the power to be able to bring what we are envisioning into life. So the power of sharing is something very good and it's really empowering. They say that don't give me fish, but teach me how to fish. And the donors who are doing multi-years, but also the donors who are doing unrestricted fun, that is what they are doing. They are teaching us how to fish our own fish, but through their investment. And through that, it's easy, is even for them 
to see their investment, to see the growth, to see the impact, and also to know that if it's the Young Strong Mothers Foundation, we found it here, but now it's there. So for me, that is what I can say. Thank you. Thanks, Jackie. Teach a man to fish, <laughs> or a woman, or a girl. <laughs> Abbas, how has your experience been? Yeah, I think um, experience is not different from Daphne and Jackie. I think that it's uh, it's really exception. It's hard to find these unrestricted pandas. The few that are in the field are very rare. Some of the things that I find very attractive is the idea of building trust with the organization that you're funding. I think that when you decide to create that kind of transaction, there is that trust. And it doesn't mean like there's lack of trust with the other you know, partners who are probably creating restricted funding. I think there is more interest here for the sustainability of the organization. I love that Single Family Foundation not even to like blow their horn in terms of pioneering this model of one, funding really African led organization and understanding that there is a lot of like inequality in the, in the funding space and for me that's very instrumental in terms of creating that pathway for other partners and donors to replicate this kind of model across the world and it helps because there is realization at the end of the day that the funding space is not actually equal and there is need for all of us to sit down and go back on the drawing board to reflect how to shape up the landscape that the people who are very far to the funding sources are able to come closer and that comes in terms of not just a one-time funding but a multi-year funding not just in terms of restricted funding but in terms of looking at the potential opportunities for those organizations to sustain and reduce their dependence on more aid. And maybe like Jackie said, in the next five years, when you come to Media Challenge Initiative to visit, you find that the goal of like setting up like a 50% of donor dependence has been achieved. And for me, if, if that can be one of the indicators that organizations invest in, it would help a lot of organizations to move away. And I understand not every organization will become self-sustaining, right? Or will create business initiatives. But at least having such indicators would help to open up eyes of, of different partner organizations. And even more, because there's more money, there's more younger funders who are coming up in the world that will be giving out money. So we need to create spaces where they learn from these best practices. And I think we have one of each here. Thanks so much for sharing that. I want to pick up on something that all of you have have pointed to, which is the word trust. And you've used the phrase, they welcomed us in as a family. There wasn't this hierarchy. They trusted us. And that is, as you say, that those are the conditions for really transformational partnerships that are about sustainability. And as we know, as you all said, that these kinds of trust-based partnerships are the exception, not the rule. And of course, there's one route where there's a funder like Siegel, who are you know all singing the praise of, but I but I think that's very warranted. I think Siegel is an incredible funder because 
they approach you as African Visionary Fellows and as grantees of the foundations with the principle of trust already in place. However, we all know that most funders don't do that. And that trust building is a very necessary and critical part of any fundraising partnership. It doesn't start off on the default there, but it's something that has to be built and cultivated and nurtured over time. And that's also fair enough. So I'm wondering in the scenario where a funder isn't coming to you with that ethos of I'm going to trust you and I'm going to give you multi-year unrestricted funding, off you go. And that is, of course, the best scenario. But what about the other funders that you have to bring on a journey and that you have to influence towards there? I'm wondering if you can share any advice or perspective for other fundraisers, other founders, other entrepreneurs, people who are looking to raise resource for their work. What influence can you have as organizations over the trust-based approach of the funders that you're cultivating? Where do you have power and influence and what does channeling that look like for you? So I love this idea of, you know, what I call donor literacy or donor education, which I, I love to engage donors in terms of showing them why I should be trusted. Because I think when we talk about trust, it's it's not like, hey, trust me, I'm a, I'm a cool guy. Like, trust me, look at me. It's like do certain things as someone who's running an organization that, first of all, builds trust, not just in unrestricted funders, but even in restricted funders. Because the space is that the work that we do can speak for itself to a level that different organizations and partners begin to trust that you can deliver, whether they give you small money or big money. And I think for me, that's the starting point. Then we can talk about the education of to each and every partner in terms of why is it important for us to look at other options rather than unrestricted funding and the impact of that. So in my case, for example, I love to have formal and informal conversations of where I want to go and where I'm taking the organization and what it means in terms of the resources that I'm fundraising for. And then the second thing is learning to say no to certain resources that does not fit into your vision for the organization, but also the work. And in that, I mean, even just for the welfare of my team, there's been many partnerships that you say, I don't think that can align with the work that we're doing and with my team, because the only thing that that funder is looking for is just like their name on a project and in a certain country at that point in time, and then leave the team to just sweat out and probably just do all the work without any remuneration. And for me, that I don't believe in, I don't subscribe to it. I am all for good work, and if we decide to do it, we can do it. But at the same time, being able to sit with donors and have very candid conversations about why are you funding us and why is our work value to you and why is it important for you to invest here because that's where you should start from. And if if it's just, oh, I just want to fund something in Uganda, then maybe that's where the problem is Then when someone is really invested in learning about the impact of your work and investing into that impact, knowing that at the end of like five years, this is where it's going. So for me, donor education and literacy is really important to, to, to create impact. I love that. Can I ask you one question? Cause you said 
that you really sit down with partners and you walk them through your current work and your future plans. And you mentioned the word candid. And I know that obviously truthfulness is a very important part of building trust, but a lot of organizations feel hesitant to share their challenges because they don't want to freak the donor out, essentially, that you know they yeah. don't want to, to send them away. But there's there's a diplomacy to how much transparency you actually do give. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. What what has worked well for you? How candid are you actually? For me, like being very candid and vulnerable has been like, I don't even say like a game plan for me, but it's been just part of me. Mm -hmm. So from even before we started to attract any funder, when we were working like you know, different people would give you in kind, like we've given you a venue to host your event. I would go as open as I can be in terms of what I have and what I don't have, right? And at this moment in time when we've been able to, you know, create a social enterprise, for example, I'm also open about what percentage we've been able to raise through our business versus what percentage we are raising from partners. And I find that transparency helps to build trust with the partner because they see that Whatever they're investing, there's something that's coming out. So I'll give you an example. I don't deficit frame my work. So a lot of people go to uh, pitch and they use, let's say, very weak, like a language that shows that things are really, really bad in my community. People are dying. The people are poor. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing. If I've been doing this thing for the last 10 years, it means I've created impact. Can we start from the point of what impact I've created and what gap is there that needs to be rather than having the same story for the last 10 years, even the people who are meeting you now be like, hey, but you've been working for the last 10 years, so you're not being transparent, right? So now whatever I've built and the funds that I've been able to put in place should also be show the impact that we have so that any partner or donor knows that I'm, I'm investing in, in a, an investable organization and they have a foundation that will create more change if I invest more in it. I appreciate you being so candid about your candid approach. I think it makes a lot of sense and it's clearly served you very well. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> of course. No, I, it, I think it's a real superpower and a very important part of the trust building process. This podcast is made possible by Seagull Family Foundation. We are building an extensive network of extraordinary people, positively transforming lives and communities across Africa. Whether you are a dreamer, funder, leader, or visionary, our network can help you make the greatest impact. To learn more, visit www.seagullfamilyfoundation.org or contact us at info at seagullfamilyfoundation.org. Delphine, Jackie, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on this, where you feel you have influence and, and can take donors on that journey of donor literacy. Yeah, yes, Lecture. I think how big is your vision as a doer also matters so that it can attract the donor to stick with you throughout that journey. So I, I've seen, for example, in our case, when funders committed to be with us for more than three years, it's because they were attracted to our vision. They're seeing 
the change you want to make in this world and it resonates with what they want to do. This is a mutual interest for us and for them. So they have been sticking around because we are doing the things they want to see happening. And to the point of being candid, I loved it so much because it brings me back on building empathetic relationship between us and the donors. Sometimes we are pitching our organization the same way for 10 years. And we are not even being able to allow our vulnerability, pray in and be real about where we want to go, where we want to reach, given that we are in this together. So for me, uh, I allow myself to be very vulnerable. Yes, I share the challenges. Yes, I share the success. Yes, I share the strength and stuff so that we can all brainstorm the solution together because I'm investing this, they are investing their dollars to make this happen. So allowing ourselves to be vulnerable, dream big, but know that everything, things are not straightforward and keep ourselves to be human and allow the funders be human as well and do what they're supposed to be doing and not expect a lot from them as in they have all the solutions besides the money they can come to you to your organization and solve every challenge you have there so i see this as really mutual interest journey and mutual respect and empathetic relationship to make sure that we are able to attract such kind of funding I think that's so important what you said around your ambition being as big as the funding that you're looking to bring in I, because there's so many organizations that will pitch projects that they will pitch their work at a very granular project-based level and then are surprised when donors want to fund the projects that they put in front of them and what you're describing is having these these audacious visions that energize people because of the scale and of the the lens that they're presented with. And that naturally will make donors show up in a different way. I think that's so, so important and something that you absolutely do have control over. So thank you. And Jackie. Thank you so much, Abbas and Delphine, for what you have shared and uh, swallowing some of the <laughs> of the things that was running into my mind. But I can say the, the thing that were left in my head is that, you know, a trusting relationship with a donor or partners uh, contains shared perspective and perceptions. So values, openness, transparency, as well as willingness to grow, but also the connection and vision. It's not all about transaction, only like only money or maybe goods and services. You know, sometimes it's all about the emotion thing, the humanity things, as what Dolphin mentioned. So for me, I can say I have like some few things that has really worked for me and I would love to share them. The first one is not to fear to negotiate. You know, sometimes you may meet with a donor who is having a completely different uh, direction with you, like what you are aiming to get 
is not what they're aiming to get from you. Or maybe you see they have the ability to support your work, but there are some gaps, there are some obstacles. So asking for negotiation, asking for a meeting, asking for more explanation also really can help. But also asking for donor's opinion. For me, this one, like I'm having this and this idea. Um, what do you think? Okay, you are doing this and this. Can you please make it clear? What is your opinion on this? So asking donors their, for their opinions and their way forward, it's something that has really helped me to connect, but also to stay connected. And then also I can say how I envision myself as a leader when I'm talking to someone new, like a donor, even not new, even the existing partners, how am I envisioning myself as a leader? And how am I envisioning my organization? What is next for me in three years or five years? So the, the more I talk about the organization, it's not about what happened, what made the organization stay, of course, for the first meeting, yes, but more focusing on the impact. What have I done so far with clear impact, but also what I'm envisioning to do in the next maybe three years or five years? So for me... These are the things that has, has really helped me to, to move forward and to strengthen the relationship, but also to bring the attention of even those who have different direction of either funding or partners. But lastly, I can say to make them my connector. So this is something that I learned recently, but it's something that can really make someone stay, even if that someone was willing to go. Because making your donor a connector or your partner a connector, that means even if that they are not going to give you fun, they will give you connection. They'll give you connection whether the end of the thing that you have been lacking for. So those are my things that have, have really helped me to strengthening old relationship, but also to keep the existing relationship strong. I have a quick follow-up question around the negotiation piece you mentioned. So, and I love that. And I, I know a few of you have mentioned this already on the call that there is, Abbas, you mentioned that you've said no to donors before and that you actually do that quite regularly if they're asking you to implement your work in a way that's harmful to your team. And I love that. And I'm wondering, we know that you have Siegel as a partner on this and your your fellows of the foundation and, and maybe you have others as well. I'm wondering, have you been able to leverage the support and the profile of funders like Siegel Family Foundation and others to negotiate for more unrestricted partnerships? Do you find that donors, other donors respect the positioning and the credibility of these other more trust-based funders and you can use that to get more in the door? Or do you find that there are still blockages? It's very difficult. And most of the time, I can give you an example. Like for, for us, we have 10 acres of land as Young Strong Mothers Foundation. We're envisioning to have hostels for the adolescent girls who are at risk, living in danger places. We envision to have offices, kalakanas, area for animal keepings, as well as agriculture, pitch and all that. But it's very, very difficult to get funding for construction. Mm -hmm. So we got donors who really wanted to fund us. And then coming to the table, they wanted us to do something else which in our strategic plan, it was, it was not uh, like we postponed it because of our milestone, that our priority we are asking, we came here for this and this and this. But during the negotiation, it took us hours, pitches and pitches, but it was not 
possible because they said we have our own vision and our own ideas of funding. So we can't do that. So they can't fund construction, although it's aligned with what you feel that if I'm having this opportunity for having a hostel, then I'll be able to reach this and this, this number of impact. But when it comes to unrestricted fund, it allows you to develop, like to cover the administrative costs, the gaps that they're not seen by restricted funding. That's so interesting. I'm wondering, Delphine Abbas, what has your experience been like? Have you been able to leverage this? Yes. So 100%. Okay. The network of the Girl Family Foundation is very helpful to connect the, I think, all the community members, fellows, um, to other like-minded or like-hearted partners. Mm-hmm. I love that, like-hearted. So I particularly have really leveraged these opportunities. And I think one of the things that we we also don't talk about is the investment in the individual rather than even investment in the organization. Because one 100%. that um, I think, again, SFF really cares about investment in the individual and how that helps to build the organization, because most of our work is really dependent on leaders until at least a certain point when you've built structures that can help you to to build forward. So I have really benefited from, from the Seagull Family Foundation Network. However, if you have this one organization, so SFF is just one organization, let's say, and they have to make connections to a lot of, you know, other young leaders, let's say. So what it means is that it may not be enough. And SFF shouldn't be doing that anyways, right? Why? Because we need to get to a level where most of the donors out there or partners out there understand their landscape and are able to leverage these kind of networks without necessarily, you know, Seagull Family Foundation having to do it. So what I'm saying is that they do it very well, we leverage it, but they don't really have to do it because at a certain point T, all of us should put together our efforts towards, you know, creating a landscape that allows these relationships and these synergies to just flow. And I know that's very idealistic because, you know, the world really rotates around networks and connections. <laughs> and it's, in most cases, we open doors for each other. So one of the responsibilities that I have as a leader is and the privilege that I have to be in certain networks is to open for other people who are probably building like I was 10 years ago. And that helps to widen the network of givers and, and supporters of different works that's that's out there. That's so great that you you've been able to do that. But I, I also take your point that there there are limits to what you can leverage, but it does seem like there has been some opportunity for you there. And and Delphine, just want to make sure, give you a chance to chime in if you'd like. Yes, please. We have been able to do that as well through Seagull Family Foundation support, because I remember applying to many grant applications. Then they request us to name who else trusted you, who else is funding you. Most applications have those kind of questions. And once you mention Seagull, they say like, oh, yes, yes. They they understand the model. They understand 
the the change the single family foundation is trying to make in the philanthropy and how they want the future to look like and we really really appreciate that how well we able to get the, the more similar funding was through having those other funders trusting us because single family foundation trusted us as well because the Seagull Family Foundation validated our approach, our model, because we were referred to them by the Seagull Family Foundation, something they do best. I can't name any other person in this sector who does it best like Seagull Family Foundation. And what happened, they don't want to give us unrestricted funding, 100%. They ask the cost sharing amount. Then when we are applying for grants, we put Seagull Family Foundation funds as cost sharing, then we are able to even get more funding, similar funding to do something big uh, to even expand or scale our vision. So we have been able to do that because of Seagull Family Foundation approach and support. Thank you so much, guys. So as we wrap up, what's one key thing that you would want the listeners to take away from this conversation? Wow. We talked a lot. And the one thing I would love the listeners to take away is that building trust-based relationship takes time. People have to be patient. And we all have to understand that we are in this together. It's not for doers or for the funders. We have to be invested equally and create the world we all want to see in in future. For for people who are building organizations, I think patience is key and investing in your story is really important to share it with the world no matter what, because People not only invest in work, but they invest in the story and a genuine, authentic story. And really just, I would say, goodness pays and goodness attracts goodness. So just do good work and just be a good human being. Good people, good investors who mean good will find you. Thank you so much, Beatrice and Rachel and other panelists. For me, the last thing I can say, I will start with the organization-led leaders that leave you your failure because mistakes are opportunities to learn and to change. But also to the donors, I have two last words that I can say. The first one is let them help us to grow in a holistic way but also they should change the story of giving. So thank you so much for the opportunity for us to be here today. Thanks, everyone. Thank you all so much. I really appreciate you sharing so candidly your your experiences of this. And and I, I really do hope and I know that anyone listening to this, there's there are learnings in this about how your success can be translated into their context. And hopefully more funders can follow suit and we can all collectively influence for for this better way. So I appreciate your time. I appreciate your wisdom and your work and hope you have a lovely rest of your day. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. And thank you for hosting us. 
Thanks for tuning in and hope you enjoyed the conversation with Beatrice, Delphine, Jackie, and Abbas. If you want to get in touch, you know where to find us. We are on social media, mostly on LinkedIn these days, IG Advisors. Our website is impactandgrowth.com. We run a fellowship, which is at fixtheflow.org. Or you can always shoot me an email. I'm Rachel, R-A-C-H-E-L, at ig-advisors.com. And finally, of course, another thank you to our official sponsor, Siegel Family Foundation, for making this possible, and to our media partner, Alliance Magazine. Don't forget, use the code WHATDONORSWANT, all one word, for 50% off an Alliance subscription. Thanks again for listening. See you soon. This podcast was produced by me, Rachel Stephenson Chef, and the team at Scrubcast. Shout out to Dave and Tim. Please rate, review, and subscribe if you can. It really helps us do what we do. Thanks so much. Thanks so much.